Hey everybody, welcome back to Channel Talks. I'm Nick Verikios. Welcome back and uh, congratulations on joining one of the uh, most important narratives at the moment, which is the quote to cash cycle and automating as much as you possibly can uh, as uh, companies digitally transform and move to things like cloud and move to uh, other SaaS opportunities. And there are too many transactions to be doing it the traditional way on spreadsheets. And I'm going to go deeper into that quote to cash uh, automation endeavor because about 18 months ago, we had Doug from Cleverbridge, and it was the highest number of uh, eyes and ears that we had on, on the channel, and that's saying something. And I think it was because people are just now starting to be very serious about that cycle, particularly when it comes to renewals and understanding that renewals are contested. So if you're not ahead of the game and doing unsolicited proposals back to your customers, uh, someone else is getting that deal. Um, <laughs> we'll discuss that in, 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 the, in the lens of frictionless sales and automation uh, in detail, because that's what you've asked me. You've said, okay, I get the strategy, now I want the practical. And there's no one better to discuss that than Wendy. I'm going to uh, introduce you, Wendy, but um, please bear with me because you're just a wonder woman. Uh, it, it is an esteemed privilege because uh, Wendy is the at, at current CEO at Cleverbridge, and Cleverbridge is a partner of iasset.coms, uh, where we do quote to cash with uh, best of breed, better, better than anyone. Uh, but Wendy really knows all about this stuff. She's had 25 years' experience. She doesn't look 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 it, but um, I've had 30, and I think I look it. Scott's had 30, and he doesn't. I definitely look it. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit be, a bit jealous about that. But um, Wendy, you've done this in in leadership and technology across product development, marketing, sales, customer success, operations. Importantly, the founding uh, executive at Yex, which is a New York Stock Exchange listed company, uh, for almost a decade, I believe, and before taking the position at, at Cleverbridge. But if that's not enough, you know, your prior executive positions at Oracle, Gartner, Right Media, Yahoo, etc. Uh, and as well, if you've like, got a little bit extra time to spare, uh, Wendy sits on uh, on various boards, including the Container Store, which is a company I love, Save the Saber Corporation, DailyWorth.com. Uh, customer with a K, which I believe was acquired by Facebook. Okay, if I'm, Facebook. Yeah, okay. um, student, student uh, transportation, you sit on boards, you know, uh, you, uh, step up women's network, chair at Georgia Tech, and also you serve as the trustee for the Georgia Tech uh, Foundation. So you give back a lot. Um, I'm so excited to go through these questions because you've got so much to tell. Uh, and of course, Scott, who is the founder and CEO of ISAT.com and my lifelong uh, partner, uh, in, in business, um, he's the wife. Uh, we uh, have, have a wonderful experience, <laughs> wonderful uh, time doing these channel talks because Scott brings so much practical into it um, with the ISF.com tool. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I'm going to get right into it. Uh, and I want to ask you both um, because it's a pet one of mine. I keep getting asked, you know, what is best practice in that quote to cash automation? endeavor that many organizations, particularly channel players, are starting to get very serious about. But I want to talk about best practice. I want to talk about what you guys are seeing, who's doing it right. You don't have to mention names. If you want to, you can. But I'm going to leave that with you guys and then um, uh, and then move on. Okay. Let's go. Wendy, I'm going to start with you. Okay. I was going to look at Scott. I mean, you know, I'm in this this role is so interesting because I am getting to talk to some of the just great tech companies from, you know, medium size. We don't talk to too many small. I think startups have a different set of challenges. They, they, they're not all heavy partner to, you know, some of the biggest tech companies in the world. I got to be honest, Nick, and I think this is maybe of comfort to people. 
I'm not sure I've really seen somebody yet who is following all the best practices. I just, I think it's really hard. I think um, some of it's the silos, because if you think about the full front to back on quote to card, and we were talking about this at TSIA this week, you know, your team was there, our team was there. You know, you've got sales who owns the initial sale. Who owns the renewal? <laughs> is it sales? Is it CS? Um, is it, Who owns the expansion? So I think the problem, and I think this modern notion of a modern RevOps team is really critical. I think RevOps is a really critical part of being at the table as well as the finance work. And I think I didn't really even see this problem completely, Nick and Scott, until I was a CEO, because yeah. I really see the whole thing. And I and not every CEO is a go-to-market CEO like me. A lot of them, way more experienced than I have, do a lot of things really, really well. And so respectfully, and we'll come back to what are those best practices. And I see companies doing parts of it, but I don't think I've I've met. And I'm sure there's one out there. And quite frankly, that's probably why I don't talk to them because maybe they don't need me or they're not interested in talking. But I think maybe it's a little bit of cold comfort for people to know that this is really hard and people are tackling parts of it. But there's a real opportunity, I think, for the industry to get serious about really looking at this holistically. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Scotty, I want you to talk about best practice, but from from the lens of what's not good practice. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty simple, given we're an automation play. Um, you know, I posted actually on LinkedIn this morning. Uh, I spoke to another organization where they have an adoption problem because they're still pushing out manual portals and manual processes. Right. And, you know, you had a distributor that came out and said, we've got a shiny new quoting portal, but the reseller still got to log in and punch out a quote. It's just not acceptable in this day and age. I mean, if ChatGPT is taking over half of the world, surely you can automate the the rest of the process piece that we're in. Yeah, you know, yeah. Wendy's at the Wendy's at right at that tail where the quote to cash is uh, happening. We're sort of sitting in the middle of all that channel data, making sure the quotes flow down through the channel and, and end up in Wendy's platform for collection. Um, but really. I've not seen anyone do it. I, I think I would suggest that one of our customers that is about 60% of the platform now, and it's not because they can't get to best practice. It's because it generated so many opportunities. They're drowning under the number of opportunities that have been created. Now they'll get over that hump and they'll move into the next stages of um, you know the campaigns piece and the life cycle piece that's beyond the renewal sort of cycles. Um, but I haven't seen anyone do it you know, truly best practice in the channel space. Um, there's a lot of vendors out there struggling, especially with um, consumption subscription type models. Yes. We do handle a couple of um, very large uh, service, well, companies that are uh, renting their boxes out effectively with consumption over the top. Um, but they're still struggling to get that out and get their channel players involved yep. because of the revenue impacts, et cetera. So the great thing is for both Wendy and us is that, um, there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's massive opportunity out there. Yeah, it's it, and it's 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 topical. Every uh, analyst that I speak to, uh, it's top of it's the, it's the number one thing that they're taking to sea level because yeah. it starts to talk to churn. It starts to talk to a loss of customer. Uh, I was going to uh, touch this uh, later, Wendy, but you mentioned it before where you said who owns the renewal. Um, mm -hmm. I've been getting asked that question this for is... a decade, and my answer hasn't changed. And my answer is, who owns the renewal? The answer is whoever knows about it. That's that's who, right. that's who owns the renewal. And to know about it is what I want to talk about now, and that is the importance of collecting the right kind of data in the land part of a deal so you can actually do 
customer lifetime value, asset lifecycle management, all that. And it starts, it, people think it starts with a renewal. But Wendy, yeah. I want you and Scott to talk to me about um, a, a notion that I have, which is if you, if at first you don't succeed, renew. What I mean by that is you've done nothing for land and exp for expand and extend opportunities. You've done nothing. The, the renewal comes you know, at the end, should you not extend and expand? What's your uh, what's your take on it? What are you seeing with your customers? Well, I think, I look, I think everyone's woken up to this. And I think um, there's a couple of things. And I think you guys do this and we're big proponents, whether you're in the channel or not. So some of the answers I'm going to give more broadly, because the, the cold comfort, you know, again, is that, that we need to be thinking about this across the entire life cycle for all for all aspects. Um, you're exactly right. The minute um, that that customer signs, there's there's a whole set of data, and we're really excited about the possibilities in the future. You know, with the dreaded you know AI. You know, this is the the buzz of the moment. But the payment, how did they process? Are they are they manual? Are they ACH? Are they wire transfer? Where are they located? The subscription data, all of those things. But then that post sell, and I think this is a huge opportunity in the channel the engagement that you can have because you need to start your renewal and your expansion on the day they sign the contract, <laughs> wherever it's sold. And, and then think about that data signals that it gives you back into that initial sell that you talked about. And we are seeing some companies start to really do this pretty well. I, I'd say Tenable, I'll bring them up and they're a very heavy channel. I think they're doing a really good job and we've honed this and it's an orchestration. I'll take something from B2C, you know, digital customer experience is something that B2C and I'm a B2C person too, have been doing for 15 years, B2B and then within the channel. Is that even a notion to think about that digital customer experience? And then as you think about the things you could do, when Tenable does, and I know they're proud of it, um, about halfway through each year, they give a scorecard and says, this is what the product did for you. Did you know? Yeah, yeah. He did X prevention. And so you're you're not, and then that moment of the renewal, it's not that moment. And I think that journey, um, some education series, information, adoption, and that can all be done automated. Now that doesn't mean that you're disintermediating the channel partner. They could continue to be doing the things they're doing to support, but that's also helping drive the value of your product. And you know, the big debate is, and I think this is an interesting question that I'd I would love to ask, have you guys answer after Scott answers. You know, our is this something the company should do in conjunction with the channel? Can the channel do it? Should we both be doing it? I don't have the answers, but I know right now it's not being done at all or not as much as it could be. And that sets up that you said it, customer lifetime value. And ultimately for the channel and the in, you know, enterprise, that's the most important thing. So I think there's a big opportunity and some companies are really starting to think about it. Um, and I think it's, yeah. it's using that data because then it can get smarter. By the way, if they don't read a single communication and they don't open it, hmm, that's a data signal, isn't it? <laughs> you got to, maybe somebody's got a problem because they're yeah. not engaged, right? Yeah. So that's- Yeah, really no, that's, that's true. And uh, Scott, I'm going to get you to answer Wendy's question because it's an important one. Um, especially give you, you've been banging on about this all week about the, you know, measurement. It's not just the data you collect, but it's the data you analyze to see if you're doing things right or wrong. So well, all, all of life relies on feedback systems, whether it's your personal, you know, your body, the environment you're in, the planet, whatever it is, everything relies on feedback. And if you're not getting appropriate feedback, you can't make the then appropriate based on that information coming in. You know, to go back to who owns a renewal, I think the challenge for US vendors is 
there's always a voice inside the vendor set that says, we now own the customer. The channel sold the product. We own the customer. We're going to sell or renewal direct. We don't need the channel for that bit. Or, you know, they're concerned about apathy or whatever. I would always counsel vendors to stay within the channel game. If they've not got appropriate channel partners that are doing the job, well, that's a different conversation. But they shouldn't just assume that they've now, they now own the customer because the channel partner is the business advisor and they can steer that customer any which way they like. So, again, I'd advocate that um, everyone in that channel transaction from the net new sale owns part of that uh, business relationship with that customer. Um, you know, where I see, to Wendy's point about feedback mechanisms, my goal... My goal is a little bit more um, or about the automation piece insofar as you talk about Tenable giving feedback to the customers as to where things are. My approach is if you think of some of the storage manufacturers and people with dial home systems, I want to proactively deliver that through. So let's just say a storage array is going to run out of storage in two months' time. I want the channel partner with a shelf under their arm to go into the customer load the shelf up, have it done before the customer even knows they're going to run out of that storage. So that um, feedback loop is connecting multiple platforms together. And then, you know, we're obviously tracking all the channel um, transactional components. We're now interfacing into ERP at the manufacturer, ERP potentially a distributor and reseller, dial home system at manufacturer, Wendy's business so that we can actually collect cash and not have to deal with all the tax rates in Latin America and all the other bits and pieces that Wendy deals with. That is what APIs were originally designed to do, which is connect all the dots. And there are still people operating in these silos and very large organizations are still running where purchase orders aren't even connected to invoices. I mean, it's, you know, I pull my hair out, but that's, that's my frustration. <laughs> Can I can I ask you a clarifying question again? Because I, I don't know if this is a, do you think, and I agree with you, whoever signed the transaction is ultimately the owner of the renewal, but what do you think about, let's say, Tenable, you know, communicating updates on the product, but then the channel also communicating? Do you think that's in conflict? Do you think they can both do it? I mean, I think it should be orchestrated with one customer experience. It would be bad if we're all, but do you, yeah, do yeah. you think that the channel should really own that? I don't I don't have an opinion. I'm I, I, I think it's actually their job. I, I, I don't know, Scott, you can answer uh, independently, but I think it's their job because they are the prime contractor, all right? And their, and their customer is expecting that of them because they're dealing with multiple vendors. No technology lives in isolation. So when a vendor says that I, 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 no, you know, let's start to learn we, because no, you can't force feed anything. Uh, no technology lives in, in isolation. So the prime contractor not only becomes a proactive mechanism to be able to take pro, uh, quotes to customers on expand. You bought this, you need to buy that. You bought that, you need to buy that. Or in terms of a reference architecture, yeah, you're not going to work unless you put this component in. And they can collectively do that and talk to procurement after that. They can talk to procurement, one invoice, one transaction, one understanding of it, and one piece of management. It's their job. Scott, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm going I'm to muddy it up a bit. So if you separate the globe into, I always joke with my American friends, there's the United States of America's business, and then there's the other United States of America, which is the rest of the world. In Where, where you've got um, US folks um, that are focused on US markets, they are more in touch with the customer base than they are in a global context. So in a global context, you and I, Nick, you know, we've been brought up as with the Europeans, uh, and Southeast Asia or Greater Asia, 
in that we're vendor in country when we're in distribution, right? We are the primary touch yeah. point for the vendor transactions. Whereas in North America, you can ring the vendor direct. I mean, same time zone, you know, they've got support desks and customer success people. So the channel's slightly different. It's a lot more evolved in every other country in the world, less evolved in North America. And you can see that in distribution margins and channel margins, right? Because they can lean on the manufacturers locally a lot more heavily rather than having to provide those services. So the short answer is, I think in North America, the vendors have the ability to reach across to the customers and and provide that feedback. What I would counsel that they do is they join it with the channel partner and present it as a collective rather than it's one or the other. Yeah, yeah, I think. Outside of North America, I think it's absolutely on the channel partner to do this because, you know, the vendors only got usually a handful of people as country managers and sales reps and, and SEs. The, the channel partner should be going in as, as fronting that data delivery piece. Okay, so um, I want to get our hands dirty now. How automated should that renewal process be? How automated should that um, expand process be? The two most, you know, over, overrated words apart from love and hate. Um, you know, how, how, how important is it to, to automate the entire thing versus some of it, part of it? How does it work in practice? What you guys, what have you guys have seen? Let's 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 get dirty. After you, Wendy. Okay. I mean, listen, uh, you know, I, I just go back to the you know, how deeply embedded are you from a strategic advisor? How bespoke is that? It, it, I mean, if if a channel's selling to let's pick one of the biggest account complex accounts I've ever worked with, let's say Morgan Stanley in the United States. Yeah, I don't want to automate that. I would never want to automate that. That is, that is, that is, I, I, and they were one of my biggest clients in my last company. I, and, and that line depends on the complexity of the product, right? So you can't set a dollar amount. There is some set of transactions that are quite simple, wrote, single, you know, fill in the blank, complexity of the product, geography, dollar amount. There's a whole matrix that every organization and every channel is different, but there is some set that I feel emphatically 100% should be automated, period, full stop. It makes no sense. And then you can automate, by the way, also pointing them to, to the channel to call the vendor, whoever, to say, hey, did you know about this new product? We did a big upgrade path for a big cybersecurity company with heavy channel, we we pointed them to the channel too. We just say it was a huge product launch. Here's this new product. Here's the capabilities. Call your channel. Here's your channel partner. Here's their phone number. We're not saying don't call them, but at least you're getting that consistency. And especially as you think around the world, expecting everybody to do everything the same way. But I think whatever that matrix is, and again, it varies. You can't just say dollar amount. Some people are like, oh, anything below you know, X A O V. No, with that matrix, but there is some, and I think that if people are not, because here's the other fact, we are not taking care of our customers. McKinsey and Gartner, and I don't always love McKinsey. I'll, I'll go on record and say that, but all they've done these huge surveys. The sixty percent of the B two B buyers now are a different generation. They don't want. To you. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, yeah, yeah. want to have the digital. So then how high up 
out beyond that criteria, do you make that an option? Again, not subliminating the channel, they can be made whole, yada, yada, yada. But we don't, we're not focusing on the customer and the experience that yep. they actually want because we all do it in our personal life. Why are we the cobbler's children who aren't doing any of it in, in the tech industry? Just think about that, right? Yep. B2C so far. So I um I think I think that everyone should be asking themselves across those questions. What part of our business could we automate? And it should be fully, absolutely no touch. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. And I'll make some comments later. But Scott, I want your take first. Uh, well, back to Wendy's point about cobbler's children's. I mean, I always say the IT industry is like the mechanic's car. The mechanic's car is the worst kept car because he's doing it all day. He doesn't want to have to operate on his own. Plumbers have the leakiest taps. Yep. And and if you look at tech companies generally, when they go into startup mode, the first thing they do is get money, obviously. The second thing they do is put an ERP system in. The third thing they do is go and sell and just do R&D. And, and I've got Oracle or I've got NetSuite or I've got SAP. They'll deal with all that sort of operational stuff. Let me focus yep. forward. Um, and it, it takes a level of maturity for them to start to realize that they need to manage all of the cycles that are going on. Mm. To Wendy's point in renewals, um, you're absolutely right about customer success. Uh, you're right about not being able to set a threshold, but in my world, because I came from you know 40 years of distribution building distributors, uh, well, the way I used to attack the problem was I'm older than Scott. You can't tell that way. <laughs> how much money is it going to cost me to close this renewal versus how much money am I paying a sales rep to pick up a phone to go chase it? So you got to work out what that delta is, if you like, between the twos. And then, I mean, simplistically, uh, in distribution, we moved it up to about a $25,000 value to go full automation. And then above that, you're pushing to inside sales reps. And then above that, you go to direct touch for your super duper deal. So um, I think really um, not taking away, you, you have complexity and customer success issues, but you're trying to automate as much of the underlying part. So even if it is a direct touch rep going, selling to Morgan Stanley or whoever, the quoting process is already done for them and hand delivered on a platter so that they don't have to then go and do that work. That's the automation piece we talk about. When we add Wendy to this whole picture, then you've got the cash flow, the tax. Merchant of record. The yep, merchant of record. Absolutely. So you're automating that. You've done yeah. it. You take all that pain away. So um, it makes absolute sense if you can get to the cash without having to necessarily involve all of the players manually and phone calls. I mean, one of the manufacturers said 22 phone calls to re, uh, to close a renewal for every renewal. It's like, mm. how, do you, how do you even run a business like that? Mm. So, yeah, that's that's how I see it. Yeah, no, I, get, I mean, I'm with you on that. And, Wendy, you did mention consistency, and I do believe consistency is important for low or no variation, um, you know, or lack of error. Lack of error. But, you know, I have these debates with people because, um, you know, I say automate everything because once you're automating, what that's doing is informing the proactive side of your business. So you may lose 20, you know, spreadsheet junkies because it's all automated for you, but you've got 20 people who can go out and take, you know, proposals to customers and say, because you bought this, you need to buy that. And because you bought this, it won't work without that. And because you, you, you bought this, you need time. to you, you also need to renew it because if you think about something as critical as, as cybersecurity, my God, you know, if you don't automate that, you're you're finished. You're you're, yeah. you're you're gone. So you have to automate that because it's not that hard, but what you do with it as well. So tell me something, both of you. I want to know what happens after you land a deal. And you know, from a practical point of view, customers land a deal, what should they be doing with that data? 
Um, so very simply in our world, the first thing you want to do is trap all of the data from all of the silos inside the business. So you want you want your ERP data coming in, you want your point of sale data coming in, you want start and end dates of contracts. And if you if you can't get that easily, you just infer that the invoice date is the start and end date. Um, any asset detail under the contracts. So there's a whole lot of information that you bring into one effectively record, let's say. Yep. Now you, you've stored all those records. Now it's about install-based selling. And the install-based selling cadence is all about finding, if you're a manufacturer, you want to sell more of your kit, right? So if you're selling firewalls, you want to sell, make sure you're selling all the options and you want to be able to search the database looking for products that are missing something. If you're, um, let's say, a, a FlexPod, which is Cisco VMware and NetApp, you know, if, you, if you're a channel partner and you've sold Cisco and VMware to one customer, why wouldn't you go after them with NetApp to sell to complete the FlexPod story, right? So that's the extend part for distributor reseller level um, customers. And then, I mean, we always have a protect phase before renewal, which is really all about you've got to make your decision on whether you want to actually let them fall into a renewal cadence or or move up into some other decision matrix, move into cloud, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, the install base, once you've got your land done, you're, you're quoting and you're invoicing through, you need to trap all that data so that you can then mine it for future use. So, hey, Wendy, in, with that, I mean, you and Scott um, are talking about platforms. Um, I just want, I want, I want you to talk to me about the operational flow, all right, the practical operational flow of what's happening, you know, with a land deal, with an expand deal, with, a, with an expander and extend deal, and also from the uh, point of view of asset retirement. Asset retirement being end of life, but also asset retirement being moving to cloud. In other words, repurposing technology. Yeah. Let me make let me make two comments on the data first, though. And I think this is a really important since this is called channel talks. One of the things Thomas Law, the executive director at TSIA, said is, um, look, companies are, are are in some ways building what Scott described, but are they sharing it with the channel? And I think this, I thought this was such an interesting point. Yeah. And I think having that broader view, I think is a real, when we talk about tactics, like, are you looking at what data would you make available? I mean, obviously the channel signed it, but you have other usage can maybe, cons- you know, who building that bigger holistic picture. Um, and some companies actually have more because of the nature of the product that they are or are not sharing. So I just want to make that, I think I thought that was really smart. And look, I just have to say it, as you think, going back to the automation before we get into this, um, what are the opportunities if you have a clear data strategy and we start to use these new technologies that we all hear about every day? Because you could think about applying, this is our hypothesis for models, anomaly detection, using AI and ML to inform what are those next best actions. So it's the data storage. Couldn't agree with Scott more. We we've we put we put a Snowflake connector because we just had so many clients saying we got to we got to get your data into Snowflake. Great. It's exactly what you should be doing, whatever that data repository is. Snowflake is one, your platform is one, fill in the blank. No one cares. Get it there and then start doing things with it. But we've all got to start thinking the way that our product and research people are building, are thinking about your products, are you bringing that to your operations? I actually did a talk at a conference about bringing AI into revenue operations <laughs> because it's so disconnected. Right. While all of your R&D teams are talking about it, we're, again, the cobbler's child, we're not talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I just had to get that plug in there because I think it's really, really cool. And there was... um. One, it was ServiceNow. I do, and I can say this, I, they're not a client, I don't work with them. 
I would say they are, they're pushing the envelope on this. So just to give people a a benchmark of like, who's really, I was super impressed. The CCO is describing the vision. I was like, all right, now that's where I want to see the industry going, whether it's with me or not, because it's the right thing. I mean, I'm going to do a crappy answer, which is what is the perfect flow? I mean, everybody's thing is different, but look, you, every, everybody has a CRM system. Um, it, it's got to start there. You know, Scott, the, the quoting process, you've got to have it embedded. However you do it, we can all debate which technologies, but it's got, it's got to start from that beginning. Um, and then, you know, the big thing is, and I'm super curious to Scott to hear about how you guys think about the e-signatures. You know, we, we you know, a, a lot of debates about how automated it is from that perspective or is that a separate process? But I mean, and then just go down the line, right? But all the way, I'll kind of move forward. You know, there, there's a different parts of the value chain. Yep. And, I, you know, it's hard to describe, but, but that's that orchestration. This is the reform consultant in me. <laughs> My advice is sit down, map out your current and all of the touch points, and then start to, this is, classic consulting as is to be right and i think what you guys are doing is a model to be and that's and everybody's is a little different so that's why i think it's really hard but i give an example of an of an area city bringing your finance and your all of your key constituents we're bringing wire transfers now in yeah it's a huge i've had five conversations with cfos about how do you process globally wire transfers you know, that that's, is it in a, and it's not really in a system (laughs) and how do you capture that? So you really do have to sit down the way that we're talking about the end customer experience. And there's obviously some basic components. There's the quoting experience. There's the actual invoicing, there's the payments and there's a, and then the ongoing touch points afterwards, but it's really about sitting down and, and, you know, I don't think very many people are going to feel really good about it. It's probably going to be like Frankenstein's. It's know. interesting though, uh, Wendy, because you're talking about um, the, you know, the, the, the operational workflow, uh, but mm-hmm. at the same time, what you're also saying is that that's what happens but it's all automated, right down to merchant of record, right down to collecting of the cash. It could be. It could be. Or parts of it. Start with a part and make it automated. Again, look at how, go through when you're doing this flow. Here's the technology. To your point, it's got 22 phone calls. Here's all the when it's not. And no. then maybe, if, you know, we're all at work towards a vision. We all understand the reality of you can't go from point A to the end. I call it crawl, walk, run. So pick yeah. an area where you're not doing automation. Pick the one with the most pain points, the 22 phone calls. But how do you know where to start? Go map it all out. Sit yeah. down and come together to collectively and with your channel partners, of course. Yeah. Like how, where are the pain points? And then pick an area. Now I'd applaud somebody if they say, you know, look, I've got a client. We'll see. I'll report back. They're owned by a huge PE. They've ripped out all 34 of their systems. And they're re-implementing everything. They're trying wow. to do it front to back. Yeah. It's going. It's it's bumpy. Yeah, I can <laughs> imagine. CIO. Yeah. <laughs> 1.4 billion dollar DevOps company. So if they're, you know, that's that's one strategy, but that's not yeah. for the faint part. I yeah. kind of like incremental to prove to the organization, like picking a couple of areas and automating those, and then having a vision and a roadmap where you could ultimately automate, but you can't yeah. rip off the bandaid and do the whole thing. But to answer your what, uh, Scott, what wouldn't what wouldn't you automate? Yeah. What wouldn't I automate? What wouldn't nothing, you automate? Nothing. I'm automate everything I can. I am fundamentally a lazy man, and if I can get a system to do it rather than a person or me, I'm happy because if I employ a person to do it, I've got to worry about sick leave and they've got holidays and all that sort of stuff. Whereas a system just keeps churning on twenty four seven. But Wendy, to your document signing thing. Um, 
So we plug in, it's usually at the reseller stack. So where the our platform's pushing out a statement of works, we plug into DocuSign. So they just Good. electronically Good. sign it and it comes back that way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And again, that's again a separate process. Even it's automated, but it's not, I don't see most people plugging that into that where it's just one seamless flow. Yeah. So even yeah. an opportunity. Yeah. And and to talk about your consulting and mapping all this out, the challenge uh, I see is you have the channel guys in the organization and you have the internal guys in an organization, guys and girls. I use that collectively. Sorry, I shouldn't. Um, so it's how do you get everyone in a room, which includes competitive distributors and potentially competitive service providers or VARs and the company to map it out? Because all of them are just got their own little factions, their own bit of politics. They want control of their little part. It's, it's, it's a challenge. So that's why we always go with the, that's why APIs were invented, right? So instead of doing a forklift upgrade of the entire organization you were alluding to, you start putting in things that are going to ingest data from the other things that are inside the network so that you can start to add and change and do it, but do it in a systemic way rather than, you know, uh, scorched earth policy. <laughs>